How do we answer some of the skeptics? What about some of the common objections, some of the common things that are brought up about Christianity, brought up about the Word of God, and as we dealt with this. And so I want to look this evening uh, at the issue, is the Bible real? And so how many know the Word of God comes under great assault? There was some time ago there was an atheist group uh, at the University of Texas, and uh, they were seeking to make a point by uh, organizing something they called Smut for Smut. And so they were exchanging pornography for Bibles. And so the, the idea of this was, their claim was that uh, the Bible, and uh, as a religious book, uh, contains violence, it sparks religious wars, it advocates the mistreatment of women, and therefore is no better than pornography. And so obviously these, this is a statement of ignorance, not un, you know, as well as just uh, you know, opposing all that God is. But there are those who have certain objections to Christianity because of the Bible. Now how many know we base what we believe on the Bible? We, we preach the Bible, we want to live the Bible, we believe the Bible, amen. And, uh, and so, uh, but, you know, the, the point is, is this comes under assault. If you witness to people and you're going to use the Word of God, you know, that's, some folks are going to challenge that, right? And they do so with different ways. They have different arguments. But, but the, the, the issue or, or the, the theme of the argument that is brought forth often is that the Bible can't be trusted, that basically it's, uh, you know, at least to the point that you actually believe it and follow it and accept the book as being authoritative in your life. And so, uh, you know, there's all kinds of statements that arise out of this, such as, you know, it's unreliable, it's inaccurate, it's disproven, it's culturally regressive or repressive. And so uh, I, I want to look at some things this evening, and my uh, focus here is not to try to prove. How many know that you can't prove anything when people don't want to be proven to? But I do want to minister this evening in something that can help us and give us an understanding, because you and I that are saved, we're saved because we believe God's Word. Amen. And, and we know that, and so, but many times we don't really realize all the dynamics that are involved. And so, you know, I want you to understand Luke here, as we're going to look, uh, you know, at his, at his record, is a physician. And uh, on one hand, in Luke chapter 1, and he's establishing the foundation for why he's writing this account of the gospel. And the other text we're going to look at has to do with Jesus, who has uh, encountered his disciples, who are also dealing with an element of doubt. Amen. And, uh, and, uh, and how he brings the Word of God to bear upon their lives to help them and to encourage them. So let's look at these texts. Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, 1 through 4. Inasmuch as many of us taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, 
just as those who from the very beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having a perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. So think of this. He's beginning this. He's referring to eyewitnesses. These are firsthand accounts. These are people who had lived when Jesus lived. They were there when, at the time when Jesus was crucified. They had seen the miracles. They probably witnessed the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Amen. And so they had seen God working and moving in this area. They're eyewitnesses, and he's going to them and getting this account from them and cross-referencing all of these, as he says, to set in order a narrative that he has a comprehensive, a complete perspective on these things. Luke chapter 24, let's look there then also, beginning in verse 13. On through 27, now behold, two of them were traveling the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem, and they talked together of all the things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have one with another as you walk here and are so sad? Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem and have not known the things that happened there these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who uh, was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened, yes, and certain women of our company who had arrived at the tomb early, uh, astonished us. And, uh, and when they did not find his body, they came saying that they uh, had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. But they did not see. And then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe, uh, in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So I want us to understand this evening that this Bible, amen, whether you have a printed version or the electronic, this Bible this evening is a trustworthy book. Amen. amen. And so the Bible is the Word of God to man. It's God's self-revelation. It is the only means by, uh, to know God. 
and what he wants for his people. In other words, we cannot know who God is. We cannot know what he's like. We cannot know what his will is apart from this self-revelation of God. This is not discovered. It's not discerned by anything that we initiate. It does not uh, originate with men. It doesn't come through our ponderings. It doesn't come through uh, our imaginings. It doesn't come through reasoning or, or even life experience. It comes through the revelation of God's Word. And what's so astounding, and I know that you've heard this before at different times, but when we consider the Word of God, here is, here's, a, here's a collection. The Bible really is a collection of books. And it's, it's comprised of 66 different books that were written over 2,000 years of time. There's some 40 different authors that have contributed to this. There's different languages. It was written in different, con, different continents by different, those of different occupations. Amen. And as this was compiled, the amazing thing is we have a unified book. We have a book that the theme and the subject, there's a continuity, there's a flow. Amen. Uh, there's an agreement within this. And so despite all of these other differences, now you know very well what it's like trying to get someone to agree on something. You know, we've got experts today and, and they can never agree on what something it really is and how it really works. You know, they may speak authoritatively. They may, you know, state what their credentials are. But, you know, then someone else, they've got credentials. No, it's not this way. This disproves this. You get the people giving an account of something, a game many times that's played and where people begin to pass on some information and, you know, it doesn't stay the same. The strange, bizarre twist and turn so that the end result is nothing like the beginning. But see, that's not true with the Word of God. There's the continuity. There's the, there's the uh, cohesiveness that is involved in this. And so, uh, you know, the, there's sometimes the, it was stated that, you know, that you hear that, you know, this is just a myth, that these accounts in the Word of God, they're myth. They're, they're like a legend. But you see, the problem with that this evening is that these things were written in the time frame of eyewitnesses. These things could be corroborated. These things could be investigated. These things, by doing so, would, would and could easily have been, uh, 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 you know, proven that they were not so, but this is not the case. And so uh, not only that, but, uh, you know, there, 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 there was no, refute, no refuting, amen. And, uh, and so, you know, we're dealing with eyewitnesses. Not only that, but it's interesting here that in our text, these men are making reference to these women that were at the tomb. Now, we know this story, right? We've read the stories of the resurrection, the women at the tomb. But think about this, and especially from a biblical from the times of the Bibles, in the cultural perspective, if you wanted to bolster uh, a story, if you wanted to bring influence, you did not have women, amen, as witnesses. Because women were not even allowed to be witnesses in the courts. They could not testify, right? 
So you're picking very unlikely individuals to use, amen, as a reference to bolster or to verify, amen. So that's not the way you would go about establishing a myth, amen. You would try to look for those who, you know, would seem to be in the know, those who would seem to carry weight, those that seem, would seem to have influence. And so, uh, you know, we have these as eyewitnesses. We have uh, this incredible picture, uh, you know, and so people, when they're going to try to convince you of something, they don't take the, the weakest link in the argument, right? They emphasize the strongest points and ignore the rest. And so think of this. And so uh, you have those others who are followers of Jesus. And, you know, again, we're not looking at the educated. We're not looking at those that people would go, oh, yes, you know, we know these are authoritative people. These are experts. These are individuals. We're talking about disciples here. Amen? And these disciples... You know, when you read through the Word of God, the Word of God, and I love this, it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't edit out. It doesn't airbrush over the flaws and the failures and the weak point. It shows us uh, their humanity. It shows us their weakness. It shows us their pride. It shows us uh, uh, bad decisions. It shows us, uh, amen, some of the foolish things, amen, the contentiousness, the that was among them. It reveals it all. Amen. Instead of covering it over. That's not what you use. Amen. When you're trying to uh, establish something. Amen. That's, you know, you won't get that in people's biographies very often. Right? You know, you're not going to get that in Hillary Clinton's biography. <laughs> Amen. And so, but it's there in the Bible. You know, not all the exact details, but we get the insight. We have this understanding in the Word of God. And so uh, not only that, but, you know, when we read the Word of God, there is a lot of detail. I mean, you know, there's a lot, you know, you get a picture. You, you can almost picture what's going on. There are details that are brought out. There's backdrop. There's, uh, uh, there's interaction. There's a number of different things. But you see, a legend is never detailed. Amen? It really wasn't until modern times where modern fiction writers learned the technique of, of the narrative and adding in all of the details. This is a relatively modern literary development. But for centuries, legends were very vague, right? There were stories, but the detail that was involved in them was C.S. Lewis, who said he had been reading poems and legends and mythology all his life, and none of them are like the Bible. Amen. And so he says either this is in fact a reported issue, a reported event, or, uh, a, 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 or a, and a statement of what has actually happened, or some unknown writer in the second century without knowledge of any predecessors, has suddenly anticipated the technique of modern realistic narrative. Amen. And then nobody since then, until modern times, had rediscovered that. 
And so, you know, he's pointing these out. So what we're talking about is the trustworthiness of the Bible, the fact that, listen, folks, this isn't a legend. It's not mythology. That's a very common, well, that's just mythology. No, it's not mythology. And so because of these reasons, the ancient texts are accurate. Amen. And so uh, many times the argument or the complaint is, well, these have all changed over time. And so, you know, that they, they, it's been changing, you know, that, and so we get even different cults today uh, come up with their own ideas because, well, there's, you know, this has been changed. What was then isn't now, and so we're, we're going back to original different things, and so, but, uh, but this is not true either. And so, you know, there's, there's multitudes of ancient texts that are in existence. So you, you have things like the Dead Sea Scrolls, you have other... Uh, you know, uh, when we speak of text, we're talking about biblical records. Amen. Some of these, of course, are partial. Some of them are complete. But to, to realize that uh, is, is uh, these are, are still existent. And these from different times and places can be brought together and can be compared. And there again, when those texts are compared, there's still a sameness. There's still the similarity. There's still the agreement that's involved in this. You know, uh, uh, Caesar wrote on the Gaelic Wars, and so this was his account, a historical perspective. And, you know, there's only 10 texts. Now, we're not talking about, like, books. We're talking about texts, you know, fragments of, 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 of things that were written that still exist, and if you compare that with the New Testament today, that has over 24,000 texts still in existence, and 5,000 of these are complete. Amen. So think about this. The ancient scribes, they were dedicated to their craft. They, you know, it's, it's not uh, when these folks wrote the Bible, obviously, you know, they didn't have printing presses and scanners and computers and all of these different things. And so, but these scribes, these were not just, you know, anybody that can scribble with a, with a, with a feather and ink. Yeah. Amen. These were, these were people that were educated and dedicated to this task uh, of accuracy. And one of the things that they did, and I don't understand the technique completely, but that there was a numeric value assigned to the letters that were, uh, you know, as they would uh, copy these texts. And they would calculate in a column the value of uh, those letters, and they would keep a record. And so if that was not the same as the original, they'd throw that away. Amen. There, there was a way to check that and verify these things. And so we have uh, the understanding today of, uh, uh, you know, archaeology, is it, you know, and, and so, uh, you know, for years people would be saying, well, you know, these places and, you know, there's no evidence that this existed or that this took place. <laughs> but one of the marvels of, of archaeology is that, you know, a lot of these biblical places and many times the artifacts that are found within those places verify not only the fact that this place actually did exist in the Bible, but that there were events that took place that the Bible records. And so you, you have this 
uh, dimension of accuracy that is involved in this. And, you know, nothing ha archaeologically has disproved this. You know, you could contrast that with the Book of Mormon. Amen. Or some of the other things. And so, you know, all the, all the claims. But, the, you know, there's no support. There's no validation for these things. The prophetic details, of course, are very profound. You know, the Bible is filled with prophecy, isn't it? There's over 2,500 uh, uh, prophecies in the Word of God. That's a lot. A lot of pr prophetic references. And, and we understand that almost a third of the Bible is prophetic in context. But these specific prophecies in the Word of God, most of which have already been fulfilled. Someone said around 2,000 of these, so we're looking at about four-fifths of the prophecies in the Word of God have already been fulfilled. And so, you know, the only way that this could be so is if there's a divine inspiration. There's some profound examples. Isaiah wrote, 180 years before this took place of a certain king and he gives a name to this king his king this king's name is Cyrus and he t says of Cyrus that he will be the one who will destroy Babylon he will be the one to conquer Egypt amen and so thinking of this this is written 180 years before we're not talking about mere prognostication we're not talking about, you know, uh, you know, divining and coming up with some obscure fortune cookie type of uh, statement. We're talking about specific things that God said he was going to do. You have in the book of Daniel again, who uh, wrote and recorded uh, of, of a decree uh, that would be issued, that would uh, end the captivity of Israel. And that, uh, you know, on the time that that decree is, is, is issued, there would be uh, 360 years to the day that the, uh, the Messiah would be announced. Amen. To the cutting off of the Messiah, actually. And what's so profound is from that time that Daniel made that statement to the time Jesus came, amen, and, uh, you know, basically weeping over Jerusalem and, uh, you know, and, 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 and had come on, not just come on the scene, but, uh, the, you know, the fact that Jesus made this statement, gave up the people of Israel. In other words, there's a judgment there. There's an exact time frame that's involved in this, uh, amen, of 173,880 days. And this is exactly to the point, amen, uh, to be calculated. So think about this. For that number of prophecies to be fulfilled, okay, you know, people talk about chance. I mean, that's a chance. Well, it's just chance. How many understand things about chance, right? Your chances of winning the lottery. People do win. But, you know, the, the number is astronomical. But the chances of some 2,000 scriptures being prophetically fulfilled is like one in 10 to the 2,000th power. Okay? So what you're doing is you're taking 10, 
with 2,000 zeros after that. That's a big number. I, 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 they don't even got a name for that number. That's why they called it to the such and such power, right? And so we're talking about one in, the, in that number, and, the, you know, the, supposedly that's the calculations, the odds of, of that taking place just by itself. So there's this misunderstanding that is involved many times in the Word of God. Jesus is dealing with these men, and he's dealing with something. They don't get it, right? They don't see this. Now, now think of this. These men are saved. These, you know, in the sense that they had believed in Jesus, they followed Jesus. They, they, you know, they're not sinners, amen. But there, there's a certain blindness or an inability to see correctly. You know, and many people simply misunderstand the Bible. And in misunderstanding, we, you know, say, well, is it reliable, right? So, you know, Jesus has been telling, uh, you know, through his ministry, he's been telling them how this is going to play out, right? I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to raise again the third day, okay? So here's all of these things. He's talking about, you know, the fact that he, you know, he, there's the kingdom that's going to come talking about all of the other events. And so uh, about all these things that were going to happen, yet his own followers, as he's talking to them, they're looking at the events as they see them and, 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 and how they understand them and what they thought Jesus said. And it's not adding up. Amen. In their minds, this is not adding up because what they thought they heard, how they understood what Jesus said, and what they're looking at in terms of the outworking, of it, it doesn't seem to connect. And so thinking of this, so Jesus is, you know, here's the, these guys, and they're, they're talking about these events. Jesus shows up. They don't recognize him. And, you know, this, this is incredible. You know, they're talking about Jesus. Jesus is there, and they don't even know he is. Amen. And so, uh, you know, and so, you know, think about this. What you talking about? Oh, we're talking about Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, tell me. <laughs> what are you talking about? And so think, as they respond to him, you know, they're dealing with some doubt here. Right? right? They're, they're dealing with something. They're, they're having a difficulty as I said, reconciling what they thought they understood and what they're looking at in terms of events as they've played out. And so, you know, it's very possible that, that uh, you know, people can misunderstand things for various reasons. And so, uh, you know, so like an example, people can, uh, you know, many, many times they understand, they look at the Word of God just like, you know, here's the... Here's the uh, Sadducees who did not believe in the resurrection, you know, and so they're wanting to know whose wife this woman is going to be after consecutive husbands have died. And Jesus says, you don't understand the scripture or the power of God. Okay, they're approaching this wrong way. You know, some people it's like, well, you know, the word of God, for instance, it, you know, it advocates polygamy. Well, you see polygamy in the Bible, Right? And we wrestle with how many of them, well, does God approve of that? Well, what you look at in the Word of God, every reference, every example of polygamy in the Word of God is not good. Yeah. 
<laughs> right? It's, it's, it's not like God is showing that this is a good thing. You know? It's there. God reveals things, but not everything that is written is about his will. You follow? Yeah. Not every, just because it's in the Bible, God says, yes, this is what I want. This is what I want you to do. Those things are there, but you see, the, the, you know, uh, there's a misreading of that. I mean, I understand it's the contradictions in the Word of God. It's not that the Word of God actually is self-contradictory. It's our approach to it. It's our understanding. Sometimes it's because we already have a predetermined perspective. We, we have, make assumptions of how this is. And so, uh, uh, you know, we can be blinded uh, by our cultural. We, we can uh, impress cultural perspectives. That's why sometimes in reading the Word of God, it's good to get a little backdrop on where they're coming from. It gives a perspective because we try to imprint, if you will, our culture. Amen? And so, you know, this is very done, one of the, very often done, one of the things that we see very often, and especially in Western Christianity. We call it Western Christianity because there's a distinct view, right? There's a cultural perspective. This can take place... Uh, uh, in, in, in any number of ways. But the point is, is these men, amen, were approaching Jesus and the things that he said with a very distinct cultural perspective, meaning that their understanding of the Messiah was that he was going to come as a military conqueror. This is how the Jews saw the kingdom of God. This is how they understood the kingdom issue. The Messiah, the Redeemer, he's going to come and he's going to conquer the nations. He's going to, he's going to uh, rid Israel of these Roman oppressors and elevate Israel uh, 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 militarily again among the nations. Okay? But you see, that isn't the plan of God at that time in, in that way. And so, but, the, but they came to that conclusion because of a cultural perspective. Amen. And so, uh, and so we, we're going to view things the wrong way. There's the element of personal agendas that will always distort how we look at something, how we see, okay? So again, the, the, it, it won't line up when there's a personal agenda, when we're impressing, you know, our subjective view, our subjective purposes on this. It isn't going to fit. God's word, or God's word won't fit that, amen, and so uh, you have these things, this is why people are driven to attack the Bible, right, they're driven to this uh, place, uh, and uh, you know, their agenda is, you know, I, I'm I don't want this, I have an agenda, I have a purpose that's involved in this, and so uh, as we're moving on to this thought here, so so in other words, the Bible this evening is not just a collection of ethical sayings or religious ideas, right? It's not just this gathering together and we got this thing, but the central theme is Jesus himself. Amen. See, that's what we have to understand. You know, we, 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 many times people forget that. When it comes to the Bible, what is the Bible about? Well, you know, it's about the religion. It's about... You know, it's got all these other, 
No, the central theme, the core uh, uh, focus is about Jesus Christ. And this is very, because it, right from the beginning, there's, of course, the symbolism, there's the types and shadows, there's the foretelling, there's all the Old Testament Im imagery, but especially as we move into, you know, to the New Testament, the emphasis here is on Jesus. And so, you know, this is where in verse 27, Jesus says, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So he didn't get into a theological debate. He wasn't trying to get into all the various syntaxes of the, of the language, you know, of the scriptures and the arguments of the philosophers and, uh, you know, uh, the input of all of the, uh, you know, people that, uh, you know, were the, were the uh, uh, experts uh, in scripture. He simply, here's what the word of God is saying about Jesus. And this is brought in Moses. It's brought out in the prophets. And so, whereas the Old Testament is a preparation for Jesus, the New Testament is a history of Jesus. The Acts and the Epistles are how this is playing out and working out in a demonstrable and a, and a practical way. And so, you know, uh, uh, you know, so here's this picture, amen, that we have this, this understanding and that the reason for the for Christ, of course, is that here's a, a, a man made for God, but is in rebellion. There's consequences of that rebellion. And so uh, the Old Testament speaks of the need and the New Testament of a Savior. The New Testament speaks of the re revealing of that Savior, right? So this is the picture that is brought here in the Word of God. But you see, the problem is a personal agenda will always bring opposition. Personal agenda will always bring opposition. Well, I just don't know. You know, most people, there are some who genuinely have inquiring minds, right? There are some who have genuine questions and objections, right, that they don't understand because of the way they see things. And it's amazing how people that are honest in that respect, when you begin to give them a proper and a clear perspective of the Word of God, it can change things. But the biggest obstacle is that, that when there's a personal agenda, amen, there's always going to be of opposition, some kind of challenging, amen, to not only the authority of the Word of God, but the veracity of the Word of God. Amen. Now think about this. Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent. He also knew that he was turned over by the Jews because of envy. In other words, they trump up this whole story, right? He's a blasphemer, he's this. You know, that, that's all the smokescreen, wasn't it? They were moved by envy. They had a different agenda, right? Their problem wasn't that they couldn't really, you know, we don't know about this guy, you know, we, you know claiming to be the Messiah. That, that wasn't even on their radar. They weren't interested in whether that was so or not. Amen. But their own agenda blinded them. Amen. Because there was a different agenda. You know, 
if you want to do wrong and don't want to do right, there will always be all kinds of doubts. Amen. There will always be some objection. There will always be some argument. You know, and so this can be settled sometime. But you, know, you have to prove people and argue this. You know what I'm saying? Because there's always this contentiousness. This, because there's another agenda that's at work. Amen. People that are confused are people, again, you know, I just confused. It's 99% of the time, you can mark it down. They have a different agenda. They're not doing what they know they should do. And so to them, there's this confusion that reigns uh, in their minds. And so think about this, uh, because uh, this is, uh, you know, when this takes place, this is not fixable in the sense that you are able to, you know, prove or to reason with someone. You, this is not a fixable thing, amen, because this is not something people don't want them to be. You know, we, you ever deal with this with people? You know, they, they start throwing out these little things, arguments, and so you start answering them truthfully, bringing the Word of God to bear. But you see, that's not what they want anyway, right? That, it's like they don't want that answered. They don't want to know that they have... They don't, because there's a conduct or lifestyle, amen, uh, and they don't want to uh, yield to the moral reality that's involved, uh, amen, and deal with their sin, and uh, so this is not fixable. You're never going to argue that. That's, it's a good thing to learn when you're witnessing, is learn to where that line is drawn, because sometimes people just, they just, they just want to keep going, but, they, but they're not interested. They're trying to uh, there's no openness whatsoever to that. And so to think of this, you know, here in Luke 16 is a very powerful story. It's, it's about Lazarus the, the, and, the, and a rich man who have both died. They're both in a place called uh, Hades, right? And, and so uh, here's the rich man. He looks over. And uh, he sees Lazarus on the other side. He himself is in torment. He sees Abraham, the father of their faith. And he says, Abraham, would you have Lazarus come and you know, touch my tongue with a drop of water? And he says, no, can't do, doesn't work. It's not, it's not crossable. He says, well, then at least you know, send him back to tell my brothers Send someone to warn them. Amen. And he says, you know, people can be in a place where even if the dead were raised, unless they're going to be open to the word of God, they're not going to believe. Amen. Now think about this. What a powerful, that still wouldn't be enough. You know, sometimes you wonder, I want to ask, but what would be enough? What is it? What is your objection? What is, the, what is your hang-up? What is your obstacle? You know, what's the, what is? Yeah. And if they're honest, many times they would simply say, I just don't want to. Right. Amen. But see, until that's understood, there's, there's never going to be. It doesn't matter, you know. And so this is a problem, amen, because this is what the nature of the Word of God is. Uh, amen. And, uh, and so... Uh, you know, the power of, of will, the moral issues can blind us, amen, 
And uh, we're, we're, I just can't believe. I just can't believe. Well, yeah, we really can. Because all of our personal oppositions that we have never removes the accountability. I want to close with the reality that this is a supernatural book. So Jesus uses the Word of God. He uses the Scripture. And He does so by bringing this with a proper clarity, amen, and a, a correct perspective. Okay? So in other words, this is, this is what we look at when we look at Jesus using the Word of God. That's why early on in His ministry, He says, well, you've heard it said, but I say to you, he's not just bringing a new spin. He said the problem is this is, was an incorrect understanding and application. I'm telling you what the correct intent of God is. Amen. And so, first of all, when we look at this supernatural book, it reveals the need of a Savior, all the way from Moses to the prophets, because of sin, this is not something that can be fixed ourselves, right? We can't fix this ourselves. And so this is always the issue. You know, people can talk about religion. Get in people, they, uh, okay, let's get back to the sin issue, okay? Let's get, right? We're sinners, yeah, okay, yeah, okay. So what about this sin issue? How is that resolved? How is that fixed? How was how that dealt with? Well, you've you got to try to be good. Oh, really? Uh, you know, well, you've you got to go to our church. I mean, you've got you to wear certain kind of underwear. You've got you, you've got, you know, you've got to acknowledge, you know, how does that solve sin? How does that deal with the sin? See, it doesn't. This is where the Word of God alone really deals with the sin issue. And what it reveals to us... Uh, is that's why, amen, uh, to be right with God, you had to understand Jesus had to suffer. Right? That's why the Word of God is so brilliant. The Word of God deals with and addresses. It doesn't talk about, you know, all the motivational things and how we can be better and try. It has a real answer. In fact, the only answer, you, you begin to talk about, what is the answer for sin? Well, there isn't one. We have not only then this picture here of the sin issue, but God's provision that is brought to us. This is the revelation here. We're looking at this text. Jesus is revealing, right? We're dealing with some things that, that give to us an understanding. This is a supernatural book. This is why it's not, it's not a book man would write if he could. And if he could, he wouldn't. Amen? Because the whole reality of the way God addresses and deals with the sin issue. You know, anybody in his right mind, we look at it as we're Christians, like, well, why wouldn't anybody believe? Well, I don't know. There's lots of reasons. But we have God's provision here. Amen? And that understanding, because in the Old Testament, how many understand the sacrifices were only temporary? Yes. They were not a final solution. Amen. And there's also the hope of the gospel because as we look at our text, this speaks of uh, the entering into His glory. We're looking at these verses here. Amen. 
that beginning at Moses and the prophets, he expounded them. He says, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And so think of this here. This is where uh, the power of sin is defeated. This is where something supernatural has taken place. Amen. Something is alive. Amen. And so they're hearing this. And in verse 32, the Bible says their hearts burned within them. Amen. Something's stirred. Something's coming alive. Something takes place. Amen. You know, one of the incredible things, and, you know, there are people who over the course of time who had been absolute skeptics, maybe even atheists entirely, who did not believe the Word of God at all, but they set out to disprove it, but they set out to disprove it with an open or an honest heart. In other words, they're going to look at it. And it's amazing how many people over time in our, our contemporary, we have Les Strobel's, amen. He was a writer for a leading magazine, I think he was a legal uh, writer, amen. And his wife had gotten saved, bothered him, amen. So he was going to disprove this. But the more he began to get into it, the more he began to look at this, amen. You know, he didn't just go... For, uh, and, uh, you know, as well, because, uh, you know, okay, I'm just going to get religious. But because he began to look at this and say, there's something different about the Word of God. There's something unique about the Word of God. Amen. Something powerful and supernatural about the Word of God. See, our, our ability uh, does not lie in, in, in our exceptional argument. It, it, you know... It, it's not going to lie. You know, one, one of the astounding stories, and right now because this isn't part of my notes, but I'm thinking, you know, Billy Graham before he became, you know, uh, who he was, there was another evangelist. And this man began to have doubts regarding the Word of God. This evangelist was powerful. He was used uh, in a mighty way. But he felt that he needed to get more educated. He needed to get all the theology. He needed to get all, you know, all of these degrees in order to be able to answer the arguments of skeptics, to be able... But you see, the problem is, is it didn't help him. Amen. And he ended up turning, not just backsliding, but he said, I, I, I can't believe this any longer. Amen. But you see, the Word of God, amen, is powerful. It's quick. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Final thought. One of our missionaries uh, that went in in earlier days into China, you know, and so uh, we had, uh, you know, China is changing. It's much becoming more and more open. Uh, but, you know, China was and still is communist. And so, uh, but astoundingly, uh, this missionary, he, he met a man who had read the Bible in university. He read the Bible there because it was, it was part of, of their history uh, lesson so that they could see or expose all the myths in the Bible. So this is just too crazy. Look at this foolish Bible, okay? But as he's reading this, this Chinese man Something's taking place. He says, you know, it, it just began to make sense to a degree. It's just something began to get a hold of him. 
And so when he met this missionary, this missionary was able to witness to him, give him a clear perspective, kind of like the man, amen, in the desert, right? And begin to expound, well, here's the word of God. And this man prayed a prayer, got gloriously saved, and asked our missionary, so would you write this prayer down so I can take it to my family and they can pray this and they can have what I have. Now think about it, we're talking about the power of God's word. Amen. Amen. See, that's why this evening we do need to be a people of the word of God. Amen. Yes, there are doubts. Amen. There are skeptics. There's those that oppose. There's times when God's people deal with doubt. Amen. But see, the word of God is what we need. The word of God. This isn't about just, okay, so fine, you prove the Bible's true. Yep, wonderful statement, I believe that. No, but this is why we take the Word of God. It's why we need to read the Word of God. We need to eat the Word of God. We need to make that part of our lives. That's why we endeavor to con consistently preach God's Word. Amen. Because it does something. It brings faith. It brings a, a power to change and transform us. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Our hearts are open before God this evening. And as we're in this place, uh, we're looking at doubt. I know this evening, as we're here, you know, we don't have people who are, you know, rising up and they're challenging all the, you know, the skeptics and the Gnosticism and all of those issues. But listen to me this evening. We can still deal with doubt. And many times that arises because of your perspective. Amen. We cannot impose, we cannot force uh, an understanding uh, of God, His Word, His work, of who He is. We cannot push that upon God's Word. Amen. We have to allow God's Word, amen, to reveal to us. There might be folks this evening, and you, you know, maybe, you know, in the background, you're not carrying a sign, I'm a doubter, but you deal with doubt. Amen. Because things don't align with how, how you think it should play out. Then you need to allow God's word, amen, to set the perspective. Not impose that. Maybe there's folks with agendas. Maybe you're here. Many times people, you know, it's like they, they don't really want to get saved or they don't want to really give their lives to Jesus. And, they're coming up with all kinds of reasons because we have to function with some kind of reason. And so we, we, we make these arguments, but see, they're not based on truth. They're not honest. There's an agenda. Amen. And that's hindering you, and maybe you're not saved tonight. You're not right with God. Amen. Going to church, we know that that's not going to do any good. Amen. Just going through motions. But, but we have... The understanding, God reveals that we're sinners. We're lost without Him. There is no hope. Listen, we are going to give account. You will stand before God, every one of us. And our only hope is in Jesus tonight. He's the only one. He's the only way. There is no other. Maybe tonight, God wants to reach into your heart and reach into your life. And if you'd be honest, amen, you'd call on Him and say, you know what, God, I've been fighting with you. I've been rebelling. I've been, you know, I've just been fighting with you all the time. But tonight, God, my real issue 
It's not all the things that I claim that I don't understand. My issue is me and my sin. And I, I ask, want to ask you to forgive me and help me tonight. Is there anyone all here in this place? Amen. Be honest before God. Church, God, amen, wants us to be strengthened and encouraged. These men, these men were disciples. These men were followers. But you see, Jesus had to bring a perspective. They had seen miracles. They had heard him teaching. And sometimes we can have things that are locked in our mind of how things should be. And it affects our ability to get the clarity and a correct perspective of God's word. And we begin to have doubts. Amen. Praise God. God's word is valid. It's true. It's powerful. It's absolutely reliable. Absolutely reliable. That's why you can take it to the bank. Amen. That's why we need to be a people of God's word. I'm going to invite you to come this evening. Maybe you didn't raise your hand, but you need to be saved. You need to get your heart right. Bottom line is that's what's involved. Amen. Because God's word reveals our hearts. Amen. And also wants to heal your heart. Let's stand together. On thank God tonight. Let's give our Savior praise and worship. It's a good thing when we, you know, you hear a preacher, pastor, speaker, you know, we believe things that are said, but you know, we do have to get God's word, amen, because, you know, in the day of conflict, in the day of challenge, you know, well, that preacher, he said, well, that's good, it may be true, but where's the word of God? You follow what I'm saying? That's going to be what is necessary, you know. It's not enough that my pastor said or the evangelist said or our fellowship believes or Pastor Mitchell said. Amen. All right. So there's got to be an understanding. It's like, okay, we put a trust or we understand where the Word of God is preached. But at some point, you have to get that as the Word of God. Amen. Because you will be hammered with doubt otherwise. Right? You, you'll, you, 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 the devil will assault you. There will be different things that your own perspective, your own agenda creeps in. Amen? 
And so the Word of God brings the clarity. The Word of God is sharp. It cuts. It divides. It exposes. It reveals. It also heals us back up. Amen. So God's good tonight. Let's be people of the Word of God. Father, thank you for you, Lord. We thank you for your faithfulness, Lord, the reliability of your revelation that is brought to us tonight. God, that we would embrace, that we would, God, lay hold of that, that we'd be a people, God, who not only say we believe your word, but that we practice that, that we, God, reference to that, that we read that, Lord. God, and we believe that. In Jesus' name we pray tonight. Amen. God's good. Lord bless you. Tomorrow night, 7 o'clock.